You're with Julian on the Brown Notes, recording for the first time in about two months, although I don't know what order I'm going to upload any of this stuff in. Due to getting a new job and not having any time to do any radio or this, a review of John Wick 4. Bless you, Keanu and Chad Stahelski. So I have um, given them all acclaim. I think I even gave the last one nine, and this one is the fourth in the... What now has probably become Keanu Reeves' defining role, maybe Neo from The Matrix still has that edge, and he's still playing Neo from The Matrix, and I actually thought that was a fairly decent film. It wasn't him uh, or Carrie Ann Moss that were the problem with The Matrix reboot, it was the new people, and Jada Pinkett Smith, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that kind of spoil everything, but it had a lot going for it in other areas, particularly Keanu. Keanu's been saddled with this weird thing, which is that he is in many ways a very clunky actor, but he's an actor that we love to see on the screen. And I feel like as John Wick has progressed, it has relied more and more on the strengths of what he can do well. So we had the first John Wick film, which was uh, Chad Stahelski, who was the, I think, the stunt double, or at least the stunt coordinator, who worked with Keanu Reeves on the Matrix films, making a homage to a certain kind of film that never quite existed, which was those hard-boiled 70s revenge films. Um, and there's quite a, 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 a long history of those, going from films um, like... Uh, Point Break uh, with Lee Marvin, I think, in the late 60s, Get Carter, where you've got this um, unknowable, really tough, almost <clears throat> dialogue-free lead character that is indestructible and is, well, virtually killed <clears throat> in um, Lee Marvin's case in the film that was uh, remade as Payback with Mel Gibson who then goes through an organisation, a crime organisation, for payback to what's been done for him. Get Carter was a slightly different twist on the same thing, but um, you've also got uh, The Killer Elite um, with, I can't remember his name, the guy with the massive shoulders from The Godfather. Again, he's brutally nearly killed at the start and then works his way in a revenge uh, scenario. John Wick 1 was... A combination of that with the kind of athletic, sort of balletic action from um, Hong Kong action movies like um, the John Woo films, Killer and Hard Boiled, and, and a general sort of um, martial arts aspect. So it was a homage to a kind of film that had never really been made. And I loved it. I loved the first one. It was amazing. And then they just discovered that there's this whole mythology around it of the concierges and the the, the continental hotels in each city being these um, refuges for a global society of assassins that's just grown and grown to the extent where um, it's inferred that they run the world's economy. The table is the highest organisation, the table. And they've been particularly cruel. Um, John Wick managed to off his... Um, the rivals who were just local, I think, Russian gangsters in the first film that killed his dog and stole his car. Um, but after that, it's evolved into this huge mythology where Keanu has been um, on the death list for the, the table. 
So they basically, it, there are set, there are in, entire rule sets in how you can behave. In the second film, he was obliged to murder one of his friends because he owed the person requesting it. And in the third one, we saw John Wick actually um, meet with the the elder that oversees the whole organisation. And each film seems to have expanded this universe and kept a lot of the great characters in it, um, like um, Lawrence Fishburne and um, what's his face? I can't remember. Ian McShane um, and Lance Reddick, who died. A, he dies at the start of John Wick 4, right at the start, by the way. So it's not really a spoiler, but he died in real life the week the film came out. So at the end of the last film, um, we had Ian McShane in the hotel uh, that he owned, and he was about to lose because the table said he was harboring John Wick. At the end of it, John Wick uh, was actually shot by the Ian McShane character and fell out of the building and ended up with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, who's like a... Mafia Don of the sewers, like um, Danny DeVito in the in the uh, second Batman film, and the ob the obvious inference in this one it was that Keanu was going to come back and seek revenge against the table. What they've done is actually magnificent, and the third film was very wide in its net and uh, its locations, its color schemes. You know, we got the desert and everything. This one's really pared down to some nuts and bolts that make it the closest to the first film. Um, I thought the second got a bit messy, and the third was a little bit messy, but much better in its sprawlingness. This is really honed in on a few elements, and some of them are really interesting, because we start with John Wick in the desert, riding horseback, um, a great sequence, and he murders the new elder. <coughs> he kills him, which is about the biggest sin you can do in this universe. And what we see then is that everyone that has supported John Wick, even if it's a tacit tiny amount, then is suffering payback from this high table uh, who decide to blow up Ian McShane's hotel as retribution for him once being friends with John Wick, who was an assassin in the old days, who retired, married a woman, and she died of cancer, and then he lived a solitary life until... He was pulled back in in that first film when people killed his dog and, and stole his car. But now he's firmly back in the mould. Um, the I really like the way the setup shows him his actions to be incredibly selfish. Um, Lance Reddick's killed. Um, we meet Bill Skarsgård as someone that's employed as a executioner's come de facto leader for this high table organization in punishing all of these organizations that have helped John Wick. If they're part of this wider table, they um, suffer incredible, well, usually death, and, oft and in the case of New York, the hotel actually being blown up um, to punish John Wick and to show that everyone else that if you harbor him or if you help him, um, so we get the New York version, but then we move to, I think, Tokyo, I'm not 100% sure, um, where we get he Hiroko Sanada, uh, Osaka, uh, the manager. He's a really well-known um, actor as well. Uh, a lot of these actors you've seen in many films, and he's really well-known. In fact, what has he been in? The Last Samurai was probably the most famous Western film he's been in, but he's been in stuff like Mortal Kombat as well. 
Um, his hotel is again attacked by this high table led by Bill Skarsgård, um, and everyone's butchered. And we meet um, Rena Sawayama, who is a British singer I haven't really raved about. Um, she's done a couple of albums, and I didn't really like the first one, but she's a really interesting actor. And she's set up for the next film. So she's um, her dad is the guy I just mentioned. He gets killed as a result of harboring John Wick. From that point on, John Wick finds out that if he rejoins his old Romany gypsy um, crime syndicate, which had, he'd left in, I think, John Wick 3, if he rejoins it, he can actually challenge Bill Skarsgård to a duel and if he beats him in the duel all bets are off and that's the only way that he can actually restore balance and give him McShane his old life back as a manager of a hotel of assassins so it's um it's quite and it's quite tightly wound around this and um honestly this is superb this is the main things that stand out here are it's the most beautiful action film this side of Fury Road the visuals, the soundstage, and the music, which often leans heavily into electro French electro house, and a large part of the film is in Paris. Um, the the last entire, I think, hour and a half are in Paris. It's three hours long. It's nearly three hours long, which was quite surprising, but does not drag. Um, the music is often brilliant, and we get um, like there's a song used in it, a painted black version of painted black, which. And another song before that, which really jolt you out of the mood they've created a bit. But um, we get um, Genesis by Justice, the French electro house duo, which is, just sounds fantastic in one of the many immortal action scenes. Keanu has paired back his dialogue to, I think, 350 words in this film. Someone worked out it's like $40,000 a word he got paid. Which is, it works really well because he doesn't, instead of trying to emote more and more as this franchise has gone on, he's done it less and less. And that really works well here. Um, so visually and sonically, this film is absolutely superb. There are a lot of long form sequences here. I would always pare down the length of these action sequences by at least a third. And I think you could apply that to almost every Hollywood action movie, particularly the MCU universe. They do end up going on a little bit too long, but um, many of these are state-of-the-art, absolute state-of-the-art action sequences. We go to what is, I think, supposed to be uh, a famous techno nightclub in Berlin, and we get a fat suit wearing... Where is he? Is his name Sh uh, Sean Atkins? who's another action star who comes up with a brilliant character. And that's one, the, the, probably next to how visually striking and sonically brilliant it is. The side characters are the best of the entire franchise. Donnie Yen, a legend of um, martial arts films, is superb as a kind of John Wick character. So Johnny, uh, Donnie Yen uh, is famous for the Ip Man films and many other Western films where he's... Um, Probably the most famous martial artist in movie in American movies today. Um, he's kind of like a John Wick character. He doesn't want anything to do with this anymore, but he can't get out. And they threaten his daughter's life unless he goes after John Wick. And he's like this unstoppable yet blind character. And 
It was really weird because it's exactly the same character he played in Rogue One, where he played that blind Jedi with a cane. It's the same character, but I thought his character here was brilliant, one of the best in the franchise. It took me two goes of watching this film to realise how good Bill Skarsgård is as a villain. I didn't like him when he played the clown in it, but he's brilliant here. He's not only a comic book villain, supervillain, but... He's got this real sort of, like, his arrogance is tempered by the fear and his, his eye starts winking when he's, he knows that things aren't going well for him. I thought he was a brilliant character, very, very cruel, very intelligent, um, sociopathic, but also very self-aware. He's got a really good scene with Ian McShane in a gallery um, where he finds out that John Wick can legally challenge him to a one-on-one -on -one duel. And he goes through various emotions in that scene, including fear and, uh, I guess, acceptance. But also when he sort of says to Ian McShane at the end, you don't realise that you go as well if John Wick dies. I thought that was, um, he's really good. We get Ian McShane and Lawrence Fishburne. They don't have massive roles here, but Ian McShane gets a good turn. Um, and the um, Sean Atkins character, if it is indeed him, um, is great in a fat suit in, as a, a guy in this um, Berlin nightclub. The whole thing has numerous action sequences that would rank as good as any, um, but I felt like the final sort of half hour was arguably the pinnacle of everything that's happened so far. There's this um, sequence in the Champs-Élysées in Paris, which must have been a nightmare to shoot, um, which is very incredible um, with John Wick spinning around them in a car shooting everyone. Um, one of the great, the, there's so many great mythological aspects to the John Wick franchise. And one of them is the fact that it's hyper real in the fact that the public and the police can't see what they're doing. Even if it's in the middle of the Champs-Élysées, there's never been any police or military involved in this franchise. It's like it's all happening in plain view, but people ignore it. So even the general public have ignored the massive fights that are going on around them and they're never really injured by anything that happens. I always love that weirdness about it. But there's one scene here in the nightclub where the public actually realise what's going on. I wondered what that was for because I think that's the only, only scene in all four films where the public are really engaged with their fighting. Most of the time it happens in the sea of people and no one pays any attention. And I've always loved that weird bit. Um, but then once we go from the Champs-Élysées, we get this step sequence up to this beautiful uh, church on a hill, uh, which is one of the great action sequences. It's pared down to a really narrow view. It's got this pumping French electro house soundtrack. And it's got this real metho um, metaphorical aspect to it, like the, the legend of Sisyphus, the, you know, the, if I said that right, the what, guy that's condemned to all eternity to push a boulder up a hill. John Wick has to climb all these steps before the time runs out, and he just gets up steps and falls all the way to the bottom. And it just happens over and over. And it's, it's like, oh, it's, it's, so, it's really funny, but the bone crunching is so bad and his body goes through so much bone crunching in this film that I actually winced over and over as you find him reach the bottom of one set of steps and then bound, 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 all the way down another and then another and has to start again. And the final denouement is really low key. I really don't like um, the way that a lot of the MCU films just went bigger and bigger on their battle sequences. 
This is a, um, the quietest scene, fewest people, least violence, and a wonderful uh, denouement, which I didn't see coming, and I thought that the film earned. Um, so John Wick 4, I think he is a masterpiece. I think it's superb. It's the best action film, not only looks and sound-wise since Fury Road, but also quality-wise. They've really done nothing that wrong in this whole four-film sequence. And even though um, they make out that John Wick is passed on at the end, it's clear that they're doing John Wick 5, so we know that's not true. And I hope that's it. I hope that they give us one more film. This reminded me a bit of the end of Breaking Bad Series 4, in that he's done everything now. So when they said, you know, there's one more series of Breaking Bad, I was like, where can you go? And they managed to make it go in such incredible places. But I, hope, I really hope that they do here because it felt like an endgame. It felt like that he'd achieved everything by the end of this one. So a very easy 9 out of 10. I might even go higher. I'll stick with 9 out of 10. The only problems occasionally are the numerous fight sequences go on a bit long at times but i don't think screenplay wise there's a problem i think it's never boring i got to an hour and a half into this near three hour film and they're nearly at the duel and i thought how can they pad this out so much longer and an hour later i was like how did we get here we're two and a half hours in it was brilliantly done i don't know if nine's too low i'm gonna stick with nine out of ten for john wick four